Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Robert, along with Sports Radio 610's Sean Bajani. And joining us is USA Today's John Crumpler, who serves as lead analyst at the Texans Wire. Great to catch up with you in person, John, after following all your Texans work online. Thank you, guys. Robert, Sean, thanks for having me on. And I'm, uh, I'm excited to talk about the upcoming NFL draft. It's a good time to be a Texans fan. Oh, yeah, definitely is. And the good news for Bryce Young fans, if you're a Texan Bryce Young fan, is he's not small enough to play Peter Dinklage's body double on Game of Thrones. Quite not quite that small, but John, he's Kyler Murray size, which scares everybody, I guess, even though Kyler combined for 50 touchdowns and a 68 percent completion percentage in his second and third seasons. What are your thoughts on Bryce and his size? So for Bryce, I guess I'll start with the height. Um, I know there was probably a, te- a section of Texans Twitter, the Texans fan base that had convinced themselves that he was close to that listed six foot. Um, I've been hearing since early September that he could be in the five nine range. He'd be in the low five ten. So for me to see him at that five ten one eight that he came in at was about exactly what I expected. And Again, when we talk about Bryce Young and his size profile, it's not the height that's the scary part. It's the weight. And he did come in at 204 pounds. Um, The first question is, does it matter? And I'm I'm not sure that it does. I think general managers know that he's a very small prospect. But it is a big deal for Bryce that he managed to cross that threshold. And I think it's going to be an ease of mind thing when teams have to turn in that card, when they have to go to their owner and say, hey, we want to take the smallest first-round quarterback prospect ever that Bryce did cross that threshold. Now, does anyone actually expect him to play at over 200 pounds? I don't think so. Um, A lot of speculation that his playing weight was probably closer to the 194 pounds that Alabama had him listed at. But I think that he can put it on. It's a good showing. And no matter a fact what Bryce Young is, no matter what he weighed in that, unless, you know, if something crazy happened and he'd come in at 215 and just proved everyone wrong, you're either comfortable with how small he is or you're not. And I think Bryce showed us just what what we need to not be crazy, crazy concerned. But if you were scared by Bryce's size before, you probably still are. And if you liked Bryce regardless, I think you feel confident today that he came in um, probably just in the middle. I'm I'm so over the, the height and the weight thing at the combine. Like, it just drives me crazy. Like, why did he go through freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year at Alabama? And we didn't know what the hell size he was. Like, why do we have to wait till the combine? Like, we had to wait eight months before we saw what this guy's size was, yet we already formed our opinions on, like, hey, this guy's a pretty freaking good quarterback. He can play at this next level, but only if he's close to six foot, only if he's, like, 205, you know, at the very least. And it's, okay, 5'10 and an eighth, 204, cool, fine. I don't care. I just know the dude can ball out. Mm -hmm. And my biggest question with guys, you know, that play quarterback particularly is – you know, really a few things. One, the offense that they were running at the collegiate level, how close is that to what they're going to see and have to understand and, you know, compartmentalize at the NFL level? And then two, can they make NFL throws? Can they make NFL decisions? And I think everything that we've seen from Bryce's tape and everything that we've heard checks all of those boxes. It's just, oh, what about the size? I don't care. You know, if this is the first time in the history that we're going to see a guy drafted, you know, with these measurables, fine, cool. I'm all about making history is can the guy ball out at quarterback at the next level? I think he can. The question is now for whom? And I think that's a great point about talking about what offense he ran and was he able to do everything in that? Because for Bryce Young, 
Is he short? Yes. But did that ever manifest in a way that he couldn't make every throw on the field? No. Did it with short quarterbacks, we worry about seeing over the offensive line and attacking the middle of the field. Did we see Bryce avoid that area? No, he was actually um, one of the most accurate guys in this class for attacking that part of the field. And is he coming from an NFL scheme? Um, I love the quote from Deshaun Watson last week. I know we're not allowed to talk about him anymore, but he said <laughs> that Cleveland's offense asks a lot less of its quarterbacks than what Bill O'Brien asked him to do previously. And he's coming from an NFL-like type scheme in Alabama, and I don't think Bill O'Brien changed everything when he went there. I think he knows how to shoulder the load, and he did it consistently for one of the best teams in the country. The tape doesn't get a lot better than what Bryce Young has done. That's such a good point, and Robert, if I can, I just kind of wanted to you know, uh, say a few things on, on those points by, made by John. In regards to Bill O'Brien, there's a number of different opinions that people obviously have about him. He certainly, kind of like Deshaun, doesn't sit very well here in the city of Houston, and you know, it's completely understood, but the way that I look at it is, okay, Bill O'Brien, say what you will about him being a head coach and a general manager. It was, it was terrible. But in terms of him understanding the offensive game, he's an offensive coordinator, has been an offensive coordinator for successful teams at the NFL level. And one of the best run franchises in the entire league, the New England Patriots saw fit to have him actually come back and be the coordinator. So like, I look at it that way. And then I also look at it, the fact that like he coordinated the offense and coached the guy that most people are talking about as the consensus number one overall pick slash, okay, best quarterback in this year's draft in Bryce Young. Like, there's another box that's checked. So that tells me that Bryce, to the point you made about him not dumbing it down to this, okay, collegiate offense versus Bill O'Brien's NFL scheme, I'm sure there were some changes, maybe. I'm sure there were some things that, you know, he had to dumb down, maybe. I don't know. We don't know all the particulars. These guys never tell us anything specifically, but I am encouraged by the fact that this guy was coached for the last couple of years by an NFL coach and that he's back in the NFL now and Bryce is going to be in the NFL and he's clearly got the makeup, got the character, got the smarts for it and certainly has the ability. Yeah. And also he just happened to throw the ball, the little short midget guy around and over an NFL offensive line for the last couple of years because it's Alabama and those guys are actually pretty big if you yeah. notice. Uh, and a, a quick reminder, uh, John, before I get back to you on a little bit of Bryce and also CJ Stroud, but a reminder to all our viewers and listeners that we're super close to a thousand YouTube subscribers, which is huge for the so show. So please subscribe to us, put us over the top. And for anybody watching, you can also listen on the run by subscribing on your favorite podcast app. But John, do you see a big difference? between Bryce and C.J. Stroud's accuracy or ability to process? What's the separation for you if there's one? For me, I, I think they both have one overarching question that kind of characterizes their entire profile. I think they're both uh, top 10 picks. I would say they're both top five picks. Love the film on both. But what puts Bryce over Stroud for me is that Bryce needs to not do something at the next level versus Stroud has to do something. And why that would I mean – the big knock on Bryce is can he stay on the field? Bryce has to not get hurt. And that's a big ask. He is a historically small quarterback. Uh, came in with the exact same measurables at the combine. And we want to make a comparison to Kyler Murray. We've seen the last two years, Kyler Murray struggles to stay on the field. When he's out there, he's great, but he's gotten, he's taken a lot of hits. Um, my argument with that for Bryce has been, hey, this is a guy who doesn't run to run. He runs to throw and he feels pressure really well and is aware of his size compared to I think, Kyler, we sometimes see a guy who says, 
I'm one of the best athletes on the planet. I could have been a top 10 pick in professional baseball. Watch me do this. But to, to, to take that question of Kim Bryce not get hurt, when we go to CJ, it's can CJ Stroud use his legs more? And is he comfortable doing that? Because we know, I think we saw in the Georgia game, when I went back and watched the Notre Dame game a second time, I'm really impressed by the athlete he is. This isn't a, when I think of athleticism that doesn't translate, I always think of Baker Mayfield getting chased down by Georgia defensive ends in the college football playoff. And I said, okay, he, he's in for a rude awakening at the next level of how fast these NFL defensive linemen are going to be and what his game has to look like to win there. Um, that wasn't happening to C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud's a good athlete when he hit the edge. Um, he could outrun defensive ends, outrun linebackers, and still throw really accurately. The problem with Stroud is, does he have a natural feel for when he's supposed to do that? Or is that going to need to be coached into his reads? Can that be coached with Stroud? So for me, they're very similar. I'm trying to decide if I'm going to have them on the same tier or um, a little cutoff from Bryce and then have Stroud and Richardson in the next tier. But for me, what puts Bryce over Stroud is I think he requires less projection other than staying healthy. And I think that's something just based on who he is and how he plays the game that I'm comfortable saying you can stay on the field versus asking Stroud to be a different version of quarterback than what we saw for two whole years at Ohio State. That is a really good breakdown. I just, I would add this, that for Stroud particularly, I mean, obviously the dude, you know, he's a heck of an athlete and is a heck of a college quarterback, but for that to translate at the next level, I mean, I used this analogy the other day talking with somebody. It's almost like, you know, when I'm watching my kids, you know, grow up that I used to coach and they're going from middle school to freshman and in some cases, boom, straight to varsity, they look on that tape, like they're going so slow, like they're moving around in quicksand. And it's because, not because of their athletic ability, but because of what's happening up here. Those guys on the other side look like they're playing so much faster because they're experienced, they're NFL caliber talent, and they know where they're supposed to be, whether it be defensive linemen, linebackers, corner safeties, doesn't matter. They know where they're supposed to be. They're going to be in the position to make the best possible play. And sometimes for a quarterback, you know, regardless of what your measurables are or what your athleticism is, it's the ability to process. And if you're not able to process so fast in a manner in which is going to benefit you or your team or your scheme, you're going to look like you're going to be making slower plays or you're going to look like you don't understand this, that, or the other thing. And so I kind of want to see Stroud be able to kind of take that on at the next level and it's kind of like right time, right place, right scheme. Is he going to be in the right scheme to where they accentuate his athletic ability, but also what he's able to take in from a knowledge base and from a football sense and process that? And can you get the very best out of him as in, in some sort of like a progression? And all of these guys, it should be like a progression. I mean, Patrick Mahomes didn't step right off the college football field into an NFL field and turn into an all pro overnight. That didn't happen. And so I think it's patience. And so that's where it kind of comes down to right time, right place. How patient is a team? Are these coaches going to be with these particular quarterbacks? I just kind of think for my money, Bryce Young has the ability to kind of step in and take on an NFL type offense because I believe he's able to process and has studied the game at just a different level than any other quarterback that we know of that we've talked about in this draft. And it's almost going to be a seamless transition for him. I think Stroud's got some great talent 
it comes down to can he process the information and make the plays and be decisive enough in those moments to be successful. And for Stroud, I'm not even sure it's a processing issue because I actually think Stroud sees the field very well. Um, when you watch the tape, you know, when Marvin Harrison Jr. isn't open immediately, I do think you see him work to those second and third reads and see the whole field. But it's it's like he doesn't have a natural understanding of, okay, this is a good time for me to run. I think about the Michigan game, and he's staring at wide open field. You know, he could probably go for 15, 20 yards. Yeah. And he's looking for the check down. He's looking for the post route. And it's, okay, man, go take off. Like, this is your time. Compared to Bryce, who I think has a very natural feel for, okay, I want to pass it, but the best play on the field right now is, like, I should scoot. And, like, he'll get down the field and make that. And I guess you talk about scheme with all these guys. You know, scheme's going to be incredibly important. No quarterback comes into this lead and succeeds in spite of their head coach generally, except for the best of the best. You know, we saw Trevor Lawrence finally break through when he got out of away from Urban Meyer this year. But for Stroud here, I think when we're talking about Bobby Slowick and the new West Coast offense kind of coming from that Shanahan scheme, I would be encouraged if they took Stroud just because it's a system that should really accentuate his strengths. It's a quick passing scheme in rhythm, find the right reads. And Stroud is, if, if there's a point guard in the draft, someone who knows exactly where they're going and can throw with accuracy to get it there, I think we saw at the combine this weekend is probably Stroud is the most natural passer. Do either of you guys have any f- different feeling after watching Richardson or Will Levis? So I'll start with you, John. I'll start with Anthony Richardson and then give it back to you guys. Um, With Richardson, I think I knew Richardson was a great athlete just from watching some of the tape, especially, I mean, if you just put on the highlight reel, that's all you really need to do to understand his athleticism. Some of these runs that he was having, we're talking SEC defenses, we're talking LSU, um, that that one running against LSU is what kind of sticks with me. Um, Kentucky, Georgia, there's some highlight plays against really, really good defenses with four or five star recruits and he's just mowing people over he's got the arm where he can roll in either direction and make big throws um but with Richardson and as I think I kind of showed a little bit um at the combine not the most natural thrower right now there's some work that needs to be done with his mechanics so I entered the con like watching the combine knowing okay this guy's a bit of a project lots of athletic talent that can buy him some room Because really, I I think when you think about athletic ability for a quarterback in today's league, yes, it should add an element of rushing. It should add some plays to your playbook. And of course, it adds another layer for what they can do if the plays break down. But really, for me, with young guys, it's saying, okay, what other traits do you have that can kind of erase some mistakes and buy you time to learn to win as a passer? Because everyone who's winning at elite level right now, I think, I mean, Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, probably the two guys we think of, Hurts took elite forward this year, too. They're winning from the pocket and they're winning just reading defenses and beating them. And their athletic ability helped them get to this point where the game is slowed down for them. So for Richardson, he's a better athlete than I really had imagined, could have imagined. I mean, he beat Cam Newton in terms of relative athletic score, but he's still not some, he's someone that needs some help. And he's someone that I'm not sure would get that help with how much uh, Houston's roster needs to improve. Such a great breakdown uh, of Richardson. I I really couldn't say it better myself. We knew he was an athlete. And watching him at the combine, I think for me, he actually threw the ball a little bit better than what I expected him to. I I was really watching these guys, you know, their demeanor and their body language and, and how much 
fun they were actually having versus a lot of guys you could tell like there was so much pressure on them to perform and to run well or to throw well and to just to do everything cross every t dot every i and it was like all right who's really kind of letting their hair down and having some fun and just showing up and showing out and being themselves and i thought richardson was definitely one of those guys he just seemed completely relaxed and i know he'd like to have a lot of those throws back but he was very honest in his interview after the combine and that that was encouraging to me i like i like the player man i i really like the player i like the potential i've heard so many people talk about richardson as you know look he's by far the most talented quarterback in this draft it's just that man there's just so many little tweaks here and there and then when it kind of comes down to what you said john we know his athletic ability but does he have the ability that's going to translate to the NFL to where, you know, he can make the necessary throws in a pocket. Can he read a defense? You know, do you trust him to do that? And on a Texans roster, particularly, like, I kind of think wherever he goes, hopefully it's the right, right system, right time, right place. They don't just throw him into the fire. And I think he needs to go somewhere where they're going to take their time with him, where they're going to really coach him up and work on some of the finer things that can help him become a more well-rounded quarterback and a smarter quarterback and somebody they can be patient with. And I don't know if that's going to be necessarily here in Houston or not, um, but I wouldn't kick him out of bed if the Texans did take him at 12 or something like that. We'll see. But I really like his his promise at the next level. He was a fun watch for CJ Stroud. You mean Will Levis? Will Levis? Well, no, CJ Stroud, you know, at the combine. Did you ask about Levis too? No, I was asking uh, Levis and or Richardson, you know. Oh, well, Levis. I'll, I'll go Levis. We can talk Stroud later, but I kind of hate myself because I liked Will Levis more than I thought I was going to at the combine. Like, <laughs> you know, I. I tried to turn Rich Eisen off to a certain degree because, you know, he's talking about his hair and all that crap. And it's like, okay, whatever. I don't care what he looks like. It doesn't matter. But the guy just, he has the build. He has the athleticism. He ran well. And my gosh, I I was really impressed with him throwing wise. And I I just, I think he's a smart guy. I I really think he's a guy that's, that's going to compute at the next level. That's going to figure it out. And again, hopefully he's not one of those guys where he's drafted and just thrown right into the fire and gets destroyed by a terrible scheme, a terrible coordinator, and and just a bad situation all around. I think he could work, um, but I hesitate to say that because the combine does things to you. And the combine did something for me, for Will Levis. He's honestly a guy that I hadn't watched a ton. I know a lot of people have, and they were like, ah, he's not a good quarterback. It was a terrible system in Kentucky. And, you know, look at the talent that he didn't have around him this year. That's why he struggled. And I'm looking at the guy. I'm looking at the makeup. I'm looking at the player. And he kind of checks a lot of the boxes for me. But it's almost a similar conversation like we have with coaches. A coach is sometimes only as good as his players. Well, a quarterback sometimes is only as good as the talent around him that can accentuate, you know, his skill set. And whether or not he had that at Kentucky, I don't really care. It's a developmental type of thing. And he seems like a guy that checks enough of the boxes in terms of the measurables and just smarts and the ability to throw that, hey, if you do put the talent around him, I think he can compete in an NFL offense and be successful. Well, let me ask you this, Sean, because you sound like you're excited about Anthony Richardson. You're excited about Will Levis. Hey, Davis Mills could throw the ball. 
He looked like a, a a good athlete. He looked like he fit the role. You know, there was a lot of things that you could say good about Davis Mills. But in the NFL, it's it's about accuracy, 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 accuracy. And if you can't do it in college, I know it's the SEC tough. But if you can't do it in college, and those guys just they, they were not accurate. And maybe Will Levis was hurt all of last year, and that had a lot to do with his accuracy. And that's the excuse that I've heard. But these yeah. two guys, I mean. We're, you're you're putting a lot of faith in two guys that aren't accurate, and I just watched Absolutely. Davis Mills miss guys by about ten feet on ten yard outs With all regularity. season long. Yeah, yeah. So I guess the difference is like when we want to talk about Will Levis, let's let's first let's talk about what he does really well. So he's a he's a big athlete. He's strong. He's got the ideal frame for an NFL quarterback coming from Kentucky. He played under two coordinators, both with an NFL background. Um, I believe Cohen, his coordinator in 2021, left to go work with Sean McVay and the Rams. Um, so he was in a new system this past year. When you look at that 2021 tape, that huge arm is it's really accurate. Um, it was He's very productive. They won 10 games. I believe that was his personal best season in terms of the numbers. And he's also a willing runner. He can move um, and he can be physical there. When we talk about the accuracy issues, I, I think – the reason I would differentiate that from a Davis Mills is I do think both these guys, Will Levis and Anthony Richardson, they're, they're guys you might swing on because their highs have been higher than anything we ever saw from Davis Mills at Stanford, who I think Mills has kind of lived in. You know, I love Davis Mills. Great guy. I got to meet him last summer, but he kind of lived off of, okay, this was the number one overall high school recruit. He went to Stanford. We didn't get to see a lot. He's been in the NFL. We haven't seen a lot. Let's roll the dice. Let's get to see more of it. And we kind of saw the sample in aggregate. While I think that, Levis and Richardson have actually seen these peaks that you kind of hope for. And I mean, they say that a good coach, once you put it on film once, you should be able to get it repeatedly. With Levis, I think some of the reasons that he kind of fell off this past year, um, like Sean talked about, not a lot of talent on that Kentucky team, an offensive line that really got bullied in the SEC and a receiver group that didn't do a great job at separating, didn't look as comfortable in the new scheme and also some lingering injuries. I mean, they talked about at the combine that this guy, he was getting steroid shots like weekly to try to play through some of this stuff. So he just wasn't comfortable. Um, when I when I think about Will Levis, I kind of put him, though, in the same category as Richardson because I, I think Sean talked about this too. He needs some good infrastructure um, to succeed, specifically with Levis. I'm really dismayed watching him in both years and how he feels pressure. I, I believe uh, I saw a stat this week that talked about the pressure to sack conversion rate in 34% of the time that he was pressured, he was ultimately sacked. For Bryce Young, that number was 12%. For Anthony Richardson, that was 11%. And for Richardson, while we compare him to another project, that showed Richardson was just grown man strong. He just pushed defensive ends off of him, throw the ball away. Levis would keep trying to chase down these plays, and a lot of the time, um, he'd come down. And I'm, I'm not really sure how that pressure is going to translate. So if you want to draft Will Levis... I think you need um, – I listen to the, the athletic football show a lot. Uh, Nate Tice, Robert Mays, they talk about the idea of easy buttons on offense. I think you would need some of those uh, for Will Levis where he doesn't have to think a lot and he knows where he's going with the ball. I think you would want a really strong offensive line. And Houston, similar to Richardson, I'm just not sure that's a situation where he has time to overcome some of those weaknesses before he falls into bad habits. Yeah, and I just got to say, as far as, you know, you look at these four quarterbacks – the Texans are finished. They're, they're going to pick second. So you're going to have a pick either at one or two. You, you want to pick a quarterback there because if you think, okay, I'm going to wait till 12 and pick up Will Levis and Anthony Richardson when there's six or seven teams that need a quarterback between two and 12, 
good luck because that doesn't happen these days in the NFL. The quarterbacks go high. The guys that they figure have have the most upside. Somebody's going to take a chance. That's the bottom line. Yeah, it probably will be that way. And, you know, it, one of those teams, if it's not the Texans, is probably going to trade up to that number one spot um, as well. So you can eliminate one of those between, you know, three and 11. So there's probably going to be quite a bit of movement, you know, within those first 12, 15 slots of the draft. And there's only so many of these quarterbacks, you know, there for the taking and outside of the top two and Bryce Young or CJ Stroud beyond that, we're talking exactly what our conversation is. Now there's a lot of pluses, but there's a hell of a lot more minuses and right time, right place, right fit sort of conversations that you need to have. But the Texans to me, they can offer the best possible deal to get their guy, and they're the only team in this entire draft in the position to offer the Chicago Bears one thing, and that is a guarantee for who exactly they want to draft as their first overall pick as well. Nobody else can do that. So their GM, you know, Ryan Pace can talk about, or is it Pace? Or Poles. Poles, Poles, yeah. Poles, he can talk about whatever he wants to, you know, like, oh, I can get a first rounder in 24 and a first rounder in 25, and we could be stacked, whatever. Hey, you could, sure. But is that going to guarantee you the guy that you need, that you want in this draft? And so that's kind of what it comes down to for me. I think at the end of the day, the Texans are going to be satisfied with whomever they get at quarterback. If it is young, if it is Stroud, I think they probably like both of those guys. And it's become a lot closer of a battle between those two than I really anticipated the combine again. It's one of those things that does that to you. But even leading up to the combine, I think you just you really poured yourself into watching these guys play. You saw what they both can do and how they could both translate to the next level. And it just kind of comes down to beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Um, if that's the Texans, if that's the Colts, if that's XYZ other team that likes their quarterback, if it's younger Stroud, it doesn't matter. I think the Texans are going to be satisfied with whomever they pick, though. And I've heard about this a good bit. Uh, I, I would not be surprised if Houston did make the decision to trade up because at this position, maybe we do have Young and Stroud very similarly on tape. That seems to be the consensus our discussion mm-hmm. is reaching. That's kind of what I see the more I look at it. But being a quarterback in the NFL in in today's league is so much more than just the football games that you're going to play. That is the leader of your your locker room. That is a de facto CEO of your franchise in terms of the publicity they're going to get and the things they need to handle with the media. That's that's who you're going to be to the public. It's just so many different things. Do you like who they are in the locker room? Do you like who they are in the film room? Do you like who they are at the podium? Um, do you like? Do you trust everything they're doing behind closed doors? Because all of that, I think, as we're especially familiar with um, as Houston fans in the last few years, that matters for your franchise quarterback. And I do wonder as D'Amico Ryan's and Nick Casario sit and get ready for this draft, this is a career-defining pick potentially. I, I don't think it'd be unfair to say unless Nick Casario hits on. He has hit on the other three of the four first-round picks coming in the next two years and probably a bunch of other picks if he misses on this one to keep his job. If you miss really bad on this quarterback, I don't I don't see how Casario survives this one. I think D'Amico's got a pretty uh, long leash here. I think they really wanted him. But at the same time, if D'Amico Ryans does not have a capable NFL quarterback, and ideally one that can elevate more than the ones that he had in San Francisco because – Kyle Shanahan's not walking through that door to save your offense. Even if you're D'Amico Ryans and you have a stud defense, um, it's going to really cap the kind of success you could have. And you could find yourself in a, a New York Jets situation where, hey, we have a really talented roster. 
We have one of the best defenses in the NFL, and we're picking 11th overall because we can't beat teams with good quarterbacks and because we're ultimately capped. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them trade up. I do agree. I think I wouldn't be surprised if they're if they're satisfied with both. But a decision of this magnitude and the the idea that they can capture momentum, sleep a little easier at night, and they have 12 picks. You know, you're going to get plenty of, of rookies on the roster just to say, okay, let's go make sure we get the guy that we're comfortable with. One, one final point I make, you talked about um, beauty in the eye of the beholder. I, I think that might have benefited the Texans a lot because I would argue Chicago – could also get three first round picks trading from two to nine as they could from one to nine as soon as it leaks who Houston wants. I think they're going to be, if it leaks that Houston wants Bryce, I promise there are teams who want Stroud. And I think uh, it would be the same the other way around, or it could be an Anthony Richardson team. So that's something I'm definitely looking for as uh, it's rumored that trade's going to get done before free agency starts. Let me ask you one question, John. You know, all the criteria that you mentioned in terms of what teams value from the quarterback position in terms of character, what they're like at the podium, what they're like in the locker room, who between the two, C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young, do you feel like checks most of those boxes? I love Bryce Young, or at least Bryce Young as he's presented himself to the public. And listen, I really enjoyed. If you guys haven't heard during the 2021 season, so his Heisman campaign, he did like one of his first NIL deals was with Colin Cowherd and he did a podcast. It was 20 minutes every week called the Bryce Young podcast. I went ahead and listened to all of that before draft season started. And if you kind of watch videos and interviews of him, he doesn't do social media. He, he doesn't do a lot of anything. He just loves football. And I think it's someone who they're going to fall in love with the way that he attacks film, the way that he's um, part of the or- part of organizations. I mean, this is a guy who he was the um, favor to be the number one pick. And he said, I'm going to play in the bowl game against Kansas state because I want to end it on a high note with my teammates. And he got Will Anderson and Jameer Gibbs to do that with him as well. Uh, I think, I think Bryce young is going to be the kind of all in football guy that teams want. Stroud is a great story too. I mean, this is not a knock against Stroud or anything. I just, I think that Bryce young is the definition of no nonsense and I think that there's a reason that he's been able to succeed in spite of his limited physical characteristics. And part of it is that he's kind of an assassin in how he attacks the game. I couldn't agree with you more. And then I'll just add one more question. This is for both of you guys, John and Robert. Correct me if I'm wrong, but at the end of uh, the combine, I think it was Saturday, right? When the quarterbacks finished up, Bryce Young was asked who, what teams he'd met with. And he rattled off a handful of teams, and he mentioned the Texans. Correct me if I'm wrong, but did he say that was an informal meeting with the Texans when he ended up describing what that interaction was like? And if it was informal, what's the differentiation? Does that matter at this point in time? We know the Texans didn't have any of their coaches, coordinators, you know, on hand at the Combine. It was just Amico and Nick Casario and maybe some front office personnel. But what, what's the uh, level of care? Does that matter at this point? I don't care because if they want to talk to him, they're going to talk to him. Who cares if they talk to him at the combine? They they can always pick up the phone and talk to him or get him on Zoom at any point. I mean, I, I just, it doesn't matter to me. Oh, we're talking about Bryce, correct? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Bryce did meet with the team formally, to my understanding, when um, when he got asked about it at the media session because that's also when it came up. I believe it was Sarge uh, asked him, "Would you be excited to play with John Mechie and Christian Harris?" And he said. Oh, I'd love to play with those guys. And then in a different question, he said, good to meet with uh, Nick Casario. Uh, we also had the, the D'Amico Ryan's lot. I, I think there's going to be some noise naturally around Bryce and the Texans, despite the fact that he's just the number one quarterback. But I, I imagine they'll meet with him just because they, they're going to know more about him than any other team between Casario, um, 
Casario coming from New England and the connections that program has with Nick Saban. Yeah. And then D'Amico being an Alabama alumni, I would imagine, uh, one, they did meet with him formally, and I would imagine there are more meetings to come. Okay, so it was formally, yeah. Maybe I, I couldn't understand what he'd said. I was like, I thought it was informally, and then I thought he'd mentioned other teams formally, informally as well. And I was like, I don't know. What does that mean? What's the difference? Why does that why does that matter? You know, why is that taking place? Why isn't everybody formal, you know, to some degree? But yeah, you're, cool. you're getting to it. You're getting to it into the weeds here, John. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, you're right. At the end of the day, it kind of doesn't matter because once this whole combine thing, you know, now that it's over, it's like the Texans can bring, I believe, an upwards of what thirty guys in to NRG and meet with them, take them out to dinner and schmooze them, whatever, get to know them. They can do that with anybody they want. So that's really, at the end of the day, what matters is you're going to get to know these guys one way or the other. I was just going to say, I found a tweet from uh, my editor, Mark Lane, was there in Indianapolis, and here it was Alabama quarterback Bryce Young says he was, quote, super happy, unquote, to be in the room with the Texans, says he got a lot of wisdom being in the room with Nick Casario. Yeah. Remind everybody how they can connect with you on social media, John, and uh, find your work as well. Guys, for those that don't know me, my name is John Crumpler. I'm the lead analyst at USA Today's The Texans Wire. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at John H. Crumpler. I uh, throw a lot of tweets out during the week as I try to think about the things I want to write, the things I think the fans want to hear about, and I'm working my way through these prospects. You can also read my work at thetexanswire.usatoday.com. So give it a read there. Uh, my new mock draft should be out tomorrow for three rounds uh, post-combine. We're going to want to do this again, John, pretty soon, I'm sure, and talk about some uh, rest of the draft and some of the other parts that, to it as well. But, hey, it was a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks so much for doing this. Thank you guys for having me. This was great. Thanks, John. Enjoyed it. Good stuff, John. Loved it. Yeah, he's uh, he's a fun guy to talk some ball with, man. And, uh, you know, you know his work. He's all over Twitter. Uh, I love his analysis of, of the Texans, of just – NFL in general and so it was, it was a good conversation with them I mean when we have things like this to talk about like there brings like another level so we get closer to finality with the draft coming up you know hey we're what nine days away from the league year starting and free agency hitting and so we'll get some more finality there like we're, we're starting to kind of whittle down and we're going to see what really is of key importance, the most value for the Texans going into the draft, depending on what they do in free agency and stuff like that. So we'll be able to whittle that stuff down and, you know, just kind of figuring all this out. And finally, just to get the Bryce Young measurables out of the way. I mean, there's so much to talk about there. It was, it was really a, an exciting weekend uh, at the Combine. I, I love watching this stuff. I forget how fun it is. You watched a bunch of it. You said, give me one guy, just uh, one player that really impressed you beyond the quarterbacks man I spent a lot of time I actually watched the running backs yesterday twice um because I was looking for a former kid I used to coach Zach Evans and then come to find out he didn't work out he was a prospect uh, their number two running back behind uh, Judkins at Ole Miss he ended up not working out because he was injured still so uh, that's why I watched it twice. I was like, wait a minute, did I miss this guy or what? I, I always forget how to pronounce his last name, but the running back from A&M, A-Chain. Uh, A-Chain, 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 yeah. A-Chain. Yeah, he's a Houston kid. That guy, he was so fun to watch at the Combine. Just the athleticism. And I think he ended up posting like the fastest 40 of all the running backs uh, this weekend. And he's a physical specimen, man. And so I was really watching him closely. I was watching Bijan Robinson, obviously. Uh, just the top backs. 
And I need to go back actually later and watch the offensive lineman. I recorded that whole six hour block of the combine because I didn't want to miss Zach. And I did anyway, because he didn't participate in the drills, but I want to go back and watch the lineman. Cause I think the offensive lineman is going to be very important for the Texans in this draft as well. Um, there's some talent there that I think they could possibly get their hands on, um, you know, in the latter rounds of the draft. So, I would say I would say at chain and uh, Bijan Robinson, like knowing kind of what we already knew about them, it was just kind of really fun to watch their athletic ability at the combine. And again, those are two guys kind of like I talked about with Anthony Richardson. I was really paying attention to guys that that were just there to kind of be themselves. You know, you can tell. And those guys showed out, man. They were just letting their athletic ability just hey, this is who I am, man. You know, like it, love it, hate it. Here we are. And they were just something to marvel at. It was fun. All right. Well, we cannot close out the show without a couple of notes. And first of all, Sean, watching the Cougs game Sunday, I was all in my March Madness fields. We got Nance and Raftery on the call. There was some major gamesmanship from the Memphis players before the game that was a little bit interesting. And, of course, Jamal Shedd's buzzer beater was March Madness Magic. It was fantastic. Uh, you know, I, I've said this all season long. Jamal Shedd, he's an excellent college point guard. He can beat anybody off the dribble at any time. And on that last possession, he beat two guys off the dribble, created separation, and got the shot that he wanted up and in, and it was phenomenal. Uh, you know, I, I was thinking like, all right, call a timeout, call a timeout. You got plenty of time, set something up. And it was like, it was a great decision. You know, you let him go down the court, you let them be themselves and you let your players make plays. And he'd been able to do that really, I'd say for the last three or four games, Shed's really been looking for his shot in the paint and just an opportunity, I would say in general, to make something happen. And Kelvin trusted him enough in that instance to say, hey, go get it, big boy. And he ended up winning the ball game for him. So that was great. What happened before the game? What, what was the gamesmanship thing with Memphis I, you're talking about? I, I understand that some of the Memphis players were uh, talking a little bit. And little, there was some stuff going on between them. I, I missed it, but I just read about it. And it, it sounded like uh, some Cougar fans were not happy. And, of course, they're never happy with Memphis Tigers. <laughs> but, you know, you, you got the last say. At least if you don't see him in the tournament, you got the last say with this, the sweep of them in the conference this year as you go to the wow. Big 12, for sure. I, it was uh, it, it was sweet. Like, any time you can get a win on the road, you know, to end your season, that that's just another thing that can kind of give you a boost going into the conference tournament, going into March Madness. And, look, the, the Cougs, they've been riding all season long with the big bullseye on their back, and they embrace that. You know, that's that's kind of what they want. That's their chip on their shoulder because that tells them like, hey, you know, one, we're not letting up. We've got a lot to learn. And one of the things in following this team for the last couple, you know, two and a half, three months, whatever it's been for me since Texan season ended is they really do. They learn something. And Kelvin makes a point for them to learn something every game, whether it's a win or a loss. And the losses have obviously been few and far between just two this year. Um, and that's been really important to me and listening to guys like your veteran guys, the guys that get it, you know, your Marcus Sasser, Jamal Shedd, Juwan Roberts, even Jarris Walker, you know, the freshman, they're so, 
you know, tuned in, dialed in to what their goal is and what they want to get accomplished. And they've been talking about uh, better ball movement and being a better rebounding team. But they, they just they just want to win their conference tournament, right? That's pretty much the that's what they want to accomplish yeah. by the end of the year. Just the conference yeah. tournament. Well, it's you know one game at a time, and so that's <laughs> the next big big dog that lies in front of them. You know that they got to get to, but it's everything that they talk about. They go out and do. Like, hey, we need to be a better rebounding team. Well, they go out and just blast the boards. We need to be a better, you know, defensive team and contest more shots. And here's Jairus Walker, you know, blocking three shots, you know, like three over the last four games, like just being an absolute beast on the boards, you know, contesting shots, perimeter in the paint, doesn't matter. They just get it, man. And I, I've said it the last three years that this team's been a real concern for everybody else in the country when it becomes tournament time. This is the time they dial in, and they're dialed in right now. So it should be a great conference tournament and a hell of a month of March and into April. It only took Dusty Baker two weeks in spring training to raise an eyebrow about the Astros opening day lineup, or at least to raise my eyebrow, let's say. He was asked, who's batting second opening day or most of the season? And he said, if Brantley is in the lineup, Brantley is number two. I know Pena's been good, but he ain't been good as long as Brantley, unquote. Now, Sean, we're not stupid. Brantley's got the longer track record. But didn't we discover the advantage of having Pena batting second is that he helped, uh, you know, it helped him as a young hitter, I should say. Plus, his threat to steal helped Jordan, assuming Jordan's still batting third. And in a season where base stealing might matter more with the new rules, this uh, whole thing with, Jeremy Pena's ability to steal could be a very big deal at, in the second spot. Yeah, and it's honestly something I didn't even give much thought to until Dusty Baker mentioned this this weekend. And um, I just – I had Jeremy Pena penciled it too. And maybe – I'm not – I can't be the only one that did this. Like, I wanted Michael Brantley back. I, I saw his value, but there was just – he'd been gone for so darn long, like – I forgot that he was back, and I was like, oh, yeah, well, where's he going to hit? I don't pencil anything in when Dusty Baker is concerned as far as a lineup because he plays games like this all the time. Yeah, he does. And I, and I thought, like, we had learned our lesson because Jeremy – it wasn't like he was just killing it in the postseason when he was batting second. He killed it in the regular season oh, the last regular year. Season. The last year, the, last year, the lineup was uh, way better as far as their wins were. I mean, it was ridiculous, the Astros' record when Jeremy Pena was batting in the two-hole. But I know Dusty, and I didn't count on anything because I know he loves his veterans. Kissy, kissy, kissy. <laughs> now you got to pencil it in, but you just need a big ass eraser, <laughs> you know, for Dusty. You just never know what's going to happen. But I mean, you know, let's hype it, hype it. Let's talk about this. Like, okay, so if it's Altuve Brantley, then you go Jordan. Oh, you're not getting to Jeremy Pena until the seven hole, or like, yeah, that or it, it's. Late, late. You know, he's the end of the lineup now because he's look. Jeremy Payne. It it's going to be Jordan Bregman or Bregman Jordan. However, he decides to do it. I I would guess with he's going to go back to and I just don't I don't like this a whole lot. He's probably going to go back to if Brantley's batting second. He wants a righty next, so then he'll go to Bregman, and then Jordan will be back in the four hole. Yeah, and maybe. then he'll go to and then he'll go to maybe he goes to Kyle Tucker. Maybe he goes to Abreu because he wants the righty lefty thing to continue, and then he goes to Kyle Tucker in the sixth. I mean. This like totally redoes the lineup because I know his righty lefty thing, which I disagree with. Now, Brantley, we know is big 
as far as he's not going to hit you against lefty. He's not going to hit against lefties. But most of these guys, it just flat out doesn't matter. Look at the numbers. It doesn't matter if they're hitting righties or they're hitting lefties. It doesn't matter. But Jeremy Pena is now, you can mark it up. He is in the seven hole. And, you know, it's not a huge deal. But I just think this could really help Jordan to have Jeremy Pena in the second. And not just Jeremy Pena. It can help Jordan. I mean, two guys. Whereas Brantley in the two hole, I don't know if that helps Jordan much because if he's on first base, there's no threat. You don't have to worry about Michael Brantley getting a steal. Even with the new rules, old, injured Michael Brantley is not going to steal bases. No, you're right. I mean, you know, the guys that you would theoretically expect to see an increase in stolen base attempts, stolen bases, is, you know, maybe Altuve, Pena, Tucker. You know, those guys, your regulars in the lineup, you know, with a little bit of speed. If it starts that way with Brantley at two, you know, fine. I I just think we're going to see some tinkering, you know, throughout the course of the regular season. I mean, Pena didn't hit two all season long, you know, a good chunk of it. And the numbers were phenomenal when he was there. I think the Astros during the regular season, man, over their last, what, 50 games, did they only – is it right? They were like 48 and two or something like whenever he hit, you know, in a two hole or something like that. It was just, it was ridiculous at one point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know, like it kind of comes down to Pena, right? How does this affect him? Brantley is hit all over the place throughout the course of his career. And I remember at one point in time, I looked at those numbers, um, you know, for Brantley, the guy's a 300 hitter. It doesn't matter where he's at. So it kind of comes down to Pena. Where is he comfortable? And then where is your lineup, you know, feasting the most? Like The other part about this, though, is comfortable. Speaking of comfortable, how about the fact that Jeremy Pena is probably going to be in the lineup every day and Michael Brantley is going to be in and out of the lineup with injuries and rest and stuff like that. So why not leave Pena in the tool just for some consistency in the lineup on a regular basis? Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree with that. And it might very well just end up working out that way. you know, Dusty's going to Dusty, and uh, I still trust him um, at the end of the day. Like, I know I know you've got your say-so and the righty-lefty, you know, combos that, that he that he likes. Um, I, I just want to see how it plays out. I, I don't want Jeremy Pena in a position to where he feels uncomfortable and where he feels like he has to press. You know what I'm saying? And if we start seeing that in the seventh spot, like – then I think maybe a change would be warranted. But again, this lineup is extremely deep. You know, you've got Abreu replacing Yuli at first base. The pop that he brings, you know, is going to be phenomenal. Like what you do want is you want some pop. You want some movement towards the bottom of your order. And the Astros, you know, beyond the seventh spot last year, they didn't have that. Uh, Really beyond the sixth, you know. Well, Jose Abreu is here this year, and so – You've extended the lineup. So Chaz McCormick is now batting eight on a regular basis. We yep. assume if he wins the, wins the job, which, which yep. with Dusty, who the hell knows? But, you know, Chaz McCormick regularly batting eight and Abreu permanently in there. He Look, Abreu extends your lineup. And let's, mm-hmm. let's also not forget this fact. Okay, Michael Brantley, we don't know where he is. He's coming off an injury. Right now he's right. dealing with personal matters. We don't even know if he's going to start the season because – He's now missed time twice during spring training because of personal reasons. Like Jeremy Pena has been there every day for the last several months, the beginning of this year in spring training. Like he's been there 
all of that stuff matters a, a great deal to me because look, you, you just want to bring some consistency. Consistency matters, I think. And yeah. Dusty likes to screw around with the lineup a lot. Dusty does a lot of things well as a manager as far as pitching is concerned, I think. But I don't think he's any genius as far as hitters are concerned because last year the Astros went through a number of slumps and, and inability to do anything offensively. And, and Dusty didn't seem to be able to, you know, push the right buttons at times to get them going. And, 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 and this was a team that was an all or nothing team for a great bit of the year. People forget about that because they won the championship, but that's a fact. Yeah, Dusty's button, his go-to button is typically to kind of let it ride, you know, let it play out like he's not going to change too much. If a guy's struggling, you know, if it's Bregman, Jordan Tucker, whoever, like he ain't going to change where they're batting in the lineup. He's going to let them kind of figure it out. And, you know, for better or worse, I mean, we saw it with Bregman. We saw it with Altuve, you know, the postseason. Like he's just not going to change too much. And that's kind of like his mantra. Um, which is which is fine. I mean, look, that was A.J. Hinch. People wanted George Springer out of the – playoff you know put put him down in the lineup he's struggling and then he said nope he's my leadoff guy world series mvp later yeah that was the right move so yeah. most managers are like that i mean that's what you do in baseball is you, you the averages tend to be you know what they are and, and they'll come around but you know like as you mentioned you know abreu lengthens the lineup um lengthens the batting order a little bit so dusty maybe feels like there's a little leeway here maybe Pena could be comfortable in the seventh spot i'd like to hear his opinion on that you know where he's at where his mind's at as a second year player coming off of the season that he had the postseason that he'd had um brantley you know you go back to the first day or two of spring training when this started and you know the media caught up with michael brantley and they're trying to figure out like hey where he's at health wise mentally you know um when he's taking reps at first base, it's like, hey, what's going on? He's like, hey, man, wherever the team needs me, field, batting order, doesn't matter. I just want to help. I just want to be here and help them win. I think at the end of the day, we all know the answer to this. If Michael Brantley is going to be healthy, you could put him in the lineup wherever. It doesn't matter, and he's going to be happy with it. He just wants to be on the field contributing. Last year, watching this team win a World Series without him absolutely killed him, just as it did Justin Verlander, you know, going to the postseason back-to-back years, getting to a World Series and losing it without him being able to contribute and help. That absolutely killed him. That was a chip on his shoulder. Brantley's got a chip on his shoulder, and he understands where he's at at the stage of his career. He wants to do whatever he wants to, wherever he can to help. Pena, you have to worry about the second-year player. Is he going to be comfortable in the seventh spot? Maybe, maybe not. We know how great, how effective yeah. he was at the two spot. I think it's just, I don't care if it starts that way. You know, it's a long season. You can figure it out. Um, again, Pena didn't hit there for 162 games last year. Um, but when he finally, you know, took that number two spot over, you saw the benefit. You yeah, saw yeah. how the lineup was clicking. So sure. I think it'll be fine. Sure. And uh, just a final note, uh, just got to throw this in here, the Roughnecks. 3-0, and son of bums defense, hasn't give up, given up more than 14 points in any of the three games. The yeah. Roughnecks are one of two undefeated XFL teams, and for what it's worth, they lead the XFL in point differential at plus 39. Congratulations to the Roughnecks. I, I actually watched it. that game last night. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've watched all of them. I'm entertained. We talked about it before. Uh, can't say enough about the job that Wade's done. Can't say enough about how entertaining the product is. We've done it before, but just it's worth saying again and worth giving them some love before we close things out. And Sean, um, glad you're feeling a little bit better. You, you're you're a bit better, right? 
I'm feeling a little bit better. I still look and sound like crap, but I'm feeling a little bit better. <laughs> That's all that matters. All right. Well, hopefully you are 100% because we're going to do another show on Thursday, give you three more days to really feel 100%, get you back uh, in game shape and, and getting ready for March Madness because, man, I cannot wait. There you go, baby. And I'm going to play hurt. Doesn't matter. I'll be here. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.